The world is a scary and dangerous place. Danger can be closer than you realize. So lock your door and stay alert as we go through these true let's not meet stories. Number one, I got a murderer fired. It was November 2010. I was working a shift job at Jimmy John's as a delivery driver. Like, really lousy job. Pulling down 7.25 plus tips, which were not that great. Usually I'd pull down 40 to 50 bucks in cash tips in a night. There was this really messed up dude named Michael, who started two months after I did. I could not stand this dude. The way he looked at our female co-workers and just his overall attitude really freaked me out. He generally just annoyed everyone that worked here. I started dating one of our assembly line employees and realized just how uncomfortable Michael made everyone in the store. From the inappropriate comments, the straight up creepy way he looked at my co-workers, just weird. Who'd only ever take deliveries wouldn't do anything extra and barely knew the menu. He lasted a while at the job, even though he was late all the time and his tickets were always short, like 20 to 30 dollars short every day. In February 2011, I was still working there. I was living with my then roommate and he had just lost his job. His car was reliable and I trusted him not to screw me over, so I went up to our general manager. Hey, so I know the schedule's full, but my roommate really needs a job, otherwise we are getting kicked out of our place. Not entirely true, but I was selling it, and I know that Michael doesn't exactly get along. He cut me off and said, I'm writing the schedule tomorrow, I'll lower his hours way down and we'll see what he does. Honestly, that's how easy it was. Awesome, my best friend might be getting a job and I'll get to see way less of Freak Show. Win-win. Schedule gets put out and Michael is on the worst shifts I've ever seen. Three hours a day, just before closing. Went from 25 plus hours a week to 12 hours. After about three shifts, Michael starts realizing just how screwed he's getting. No one tips at night. It's a horrible shift and he had to close. He comes in the next day, when he's not scheduled and freaks out at the general manager. The GM is not having any of it. No one likes him anyways. Tells him to leave before he dials 911. Michael leaves peacefully and the GM looks at me and says, Call your buddy. We've been a man short for a week. I make the call. Roommate shows up and he's hired on the spot. Just legal stuff to work out. Starts in two days. Awesome. Things are great. We are both making cash tips which help us afford the lifestyle of two 22-year-olds and we're making rent. Good enough. April 21st, 2011. I show up to work like normal. My roommate had found a different job, making more money, which was great because being roommates and co-workers is not exactly ideal. I walk into work and my GM just stares at me. Like, what the hell? He calls a backroom meeting and explains that Michael was just arrested for double homicide. Apparently after he left our Jimmy John's, he went to another store and had the same thing happen. His creepy attitude and poor work ethic meant he got screwed on shifts and hours. 
Turns out he asked his father for five dollars so he could get into work. His father said no, because he should be pulling down enough in tips to make it work. In Michael's words, I decided to make this time the last time we would argue. He went to his room, pulled the 22 rifle, and shot his father in the back of the head three times. Freaked out and hid the body in the garage. When his mother got off work two hours later, he shot her twice in the head as she walked into the house. Two days later, a welfare check was done by the police, and he was arrested on the spot. Apparently, he had ordered a one-way plane ticket back to his home country, but it had not arrived yet. Life sentence in prison, eligible for parole in 55 years. I hope I never see him again. Here's the part I'm not exactly proud of. Three months later, I hear about a real estate sale. Same neighborhood. Sure enough, it's the same house. They're selling everything off. I mean, could you resist? I had to go. Creepiest stuff I've ever seen. The guy had 30 plus pairs of brand new shoes, but no gas to get to work. He used to shoot holes in the basement walls with his 22. The holes were still there. I got the hell out of there. It was just weird. Really weird. I still remember seeing his Jimmy John's hat in his bedroom. Number two. What if I had drank it? This happened a few months ago in the McDonald's at Copenhagen station. I am not Danish, only visiting the country for one day. And since I wanted to travel cheap, I decided to take the cheapest bus there, which just so happened to be arriving at 11pm the day before. I thought I could save more money by not renting a bed somewhere and instead spending the night awake or half asleep at the station, do my business the next day, and sleep long and well on the bus back home. So this McDonald's is open 24-7. I discovered pretty early on that the station was too cold for me to get some shut-eye. So I went inside and bought a coffee and sat down at an empty table. Plenty of lighting and semi-drunk people to keep me awake, I thought. I should add I'm a 23-year-old female. After a while of sitting at my spot, a strange guy walked over and placed a full cup of soda on my table. He said in Danish something I believe meant, I ate my food already. I didn't drink any. You should have it instead. I am Swedish. And although some Swedes understand Danish perfectly well, I have some difficulties doing so. So this is just a guess. Anyway, I didn't really pay much attention to the cup after it was put on my table, just wrote it off as a random guy trying to flirt. But I noticed that in front of me, a table away, sat another guy, and he was watching me closely. Because we did lock eyes at the same time, I looked up to peek at him. This creeped me out. I really didn't like being watched like this, and he just sat there for nearly an hour, even though he had no food in front of him. In the end, this dude stood up and walked over to me, and I cursed internally, thinking I'd have to defend myself and tell him to leave. But he turned, and there stood the guy that had left the soda cup on my table. He told the soda guy to leave after pushing the soda cup back into his arms, 
and that he didn't want to see him anywhere near this place again. Then he turned to me and explained, in English, that soda guy had walked by my table several times, glancing at me and the cup, and probably waiting for me to drink it. He said he had finished his meal a while ago and just stayed to watch over me, but had to leave and reminded me to be careful. I hadn't even noticed Soda Guy supposedly pacing by. I was too fixated on the other dude, who just happened to be the good guy watching over me. Who knows what was in that soda, and what would have happened should I had gotten really thirsty and drank some of it. So thank you, McDonald's guy who watched over me. And let's not meet again, Soda Guy. Number three. I was hunted in the woods last night. Years ago, when I was still a teenager, my friend Justin and I would often go longboarding at night. As my friends and I were quite the night owls, we loved the freedom of almost never seeing another soul on the roads or paths we frequented. Even when using main roads, it would be very rare to see a car out so late in such a rural area. You could see and hear them coming from very far away due to the headlights and the noise of the vehicle disrupting the peaceful silence of the night. We were really into it at the time. We would often ride our boards for miles and miles, sometimes not arriving home until the sun was up. One particular night, we decided to ride a few miles away from our usual back roads to take one of our favorite hidden routes. It began with a narrow paved path. That was the only piece of land separating two sides of a long lake. It would often sink under due to rain and we wanted to seize the opportunity to use it before it rained and went under again. It was roughly two miles long and was extremely relaxing to ride through due to the scenery. After making it to the end of the lake, we decided to continue moving and turn into a very close path that leads directly into a densely wooded wilderness preservation. As we came up the first hill, we looked down at the bottom into the blackness. We both noticed what appeared to be a tiny moving ball of dim light down there. It moved so strangely and it was extremely difficult to make out. Rather than shine our flashlights down, we curiously watched it for a few moments, whispering to each other about what it could possibly be. All at once, that light turned into multiple blinding lights and extremely loud revving sounds overwhelming our senses that had become accustomed to the dark and silence. Acting purely out of fear, we instantly turned around and ran as fast as we could, hearing yelling and revving gaining behind us. By sheer luck, we managed to run off the path into a very dark, very overgrown hole in the side of a hill, overlooking where we had just come from. We decided to hide in the natural dugout of this hill hoping the plants and darkness would be enough to protect us from whatever was happening out there. We watched our pursuers ride up to where we had originally been standing. There were four men, two on four-wheelers and two in full-sized motorcycles. They were yelling at each other about something, but we couldn't make out what they were saying due to the distance we had covered. We felt safe enough to whisper very softly to each other and speculated who these people could be. Our first thought was that they might be park rangers of some kind. Although we had never seen one here, in the many times we had been here though, and honestly, we doubted that this county had the budget or even the desire to have anyone patrol the deep woods at night. Besides that, these men were on vehicles, 
entirely inappropriate for the paved bike trails. And they were very angry about something. They called out to us for a while, yelling things like, We know you're out there. And we can see you. Come on out. We stayed silent and decided to call their bluff instead of running. Eventually, we clearly heard one of the men yell, Find them now, and smash a bottle. That had erased any hope we had that these were just park rangers. We watched them split up, each of them going a different way down the series of paths on their vehicles, including the path we came from. It took us what felt like ages to even move. We were frozen in terror inside the dugout, watching the lights from the vehicles travel through the woods and paths. One of them already coming full circle and passing the point he started from. I thought about calling for help, but I was too afraid to open my phone in fear that even the smallest amount of light would give away our location. After waiting for the lights of the vehicles to reach their farthest distance yet, we finally summoned the nerve to get up and try to run somewhere far enough from these people and safely make a call. We ran as hard and fast as we could through the woods. Since their headlights gave away their location on these paths, we would hide again whenever we felt they were getting too close. Our available hiding spots were getting progressively worse as the woods became less dense. And the fear I felt waiting for one of them to drive past us while basically only being covered in leaves and plants may still be unmatched to this day. Finally, we emerged from the woods onto the intersection of two main rows, far from where we had started. We ducked down into the ditch to call for help. When I opened my phone, I noticed I had recent missed calls from one of our other friends, Connor, who we were supposed to meet up with after our longboard excursion. I called him frantically, asking where he was. Luck was with us again. He hadn't given up on our plans despite us ignoring him, and he was only a few miles away already heading in our direction. I gave him the names of two streets we were near the corner of and explained that we needed picking up right away. He agreed to speed over to us while Justin and I waited in hiding. Thankfully, Connor arrived before any of those men did. We bolted into the back seats of his car, yelling for him to get out of there, and he took off. Relief doesn't begin to describe what I felt being safely driven home after everything I'd experienced. After explaining everything to Connor, we ended up just moving on with our night and decided not to call the police. We figured they'd be gone by the time any officer made it out there, and that we'd probably only be putting ourselves at risk by admitting to breaking the law and taking those paths so late at night. I still have no idea what happened, or who those people were. I've been told all kinds of theories from friends and family that have heard this story. Some think we walked right up to a huge drug deal, Justin and I later admitted to each other that when the revving started and we couldn't see, our minds both went straight to chainsaw-wielding horror movie serial killer, so I suppose it couldn't have been much worse. Frustratingly enough, whatever those men thought we saw that made them want to capture so badly, we never actually saw. We'll never really know, I suppose. Number 4. The McDonald's Customer so I work in a McDonald's in the UK, and my area and my Mackies isn't the best. There's a lot of druggies, alcoholics, and just overall idiots who cause trouble. I'm usually pretty good at fending for myself and shaking things off, but this encounter 
really, really freaked me out. So it was a couple of weeks ago, and I was working on the drive through window, where you collect your food. It's not uncommon for guys to make sexual comments or innuendos when they come through, because they don't really have to face any consequences. However, this one guy came through the drive through and commented on my beautiful lips, and asked me to meet him out back and put them to good use. I declined in the politest way I could manage and told him to move along as he was holding up the queue of cars. He moved and I thought that was the end of that ordeal. Five minutes later, the same dude comes around again and makes even more sexual comments about me. My hair and all the creepy things he'd like to do to me. They were quite disturbing and very disgusting. They were mostly about the things he'd do to me, which seemed more like torture methods than sexual acts. I was shocked and quite visibly sickened, so he drove off and I told my manager that I felt uncomfortable by this customer and asked to be moved to a different station in case he came back round. Apparently he did, because the boy who switched stations with me also had an encounter with this guy. He was asked where I was, what my name is, if this guy would give him my phone number, if he knew where I lived or what time I finished. The boy, thankfully, only told him my name and that I had been moved to the front counter before he realised this guy was a total freak and decided not to say any more. This is where the story gets really weird for me. The creepy guy came into the store and came up to the till where I was stationed on. He made similar remarks about what he wanted to do with me if he were to get his hands on me. He didn't stop until other customers interrupted him and told him to back off and walk away. I was getting really upset and shaken. He wouldn't leave, so I tried to walk away, which is when the guy tried to jump over the counter and get to my side of the store. Luckily, my manager and a few other staff members grabbed a hold of him and stopped him getting near me. But that didn't stop him from fighting back and still trying to touch me and get near me. At one point, he was clawing at my co-workers with his long, nasty nails. Other members of staff alerted the staff safe a sort of panic button that connects us right to police. Fortunately, because I work in a rough area, police patrol very closely to where I work, so they managed to get to the store pretty quickly. They detained the guy and found a few knives stashed all over his body. Army knives, pocket knives, and even just small, regular kitchen knives. As they were dragging him away, he continued to scream about how he was going to wait outside the store for me every day and that we belong together, and just screaming all the rantings of a madman. My manager sent me home in a taxi, and I've never seen this guy, his car, or anything else of his again, which I thank my lucky stars for. Sir, creepy McDonald's drive through dude, who must have been on some form of drug. Let's not meet again. Number five, the tooth man. When I was about six years old, around 2004, my mum started taking my sister and I to Dr. Daniel's pediatric dental office. The dental centre was located inside a giant yellow mansion that also doubled as Dr. Daniel's house. It was honestly gorgeous. When I first started going to the dentist, I was extremely shy and actually suffered from selective mutism and had a lot of autistic-like tendencies. Needless to say, I relied heavily on my mother's comfort and for someone to give me a voice 
because it was extremely anxiety-inducing for me to talk to strangers, especially men for some reason. When my sister and I got called into the waiting room, my mum followed us to the office until she was told by Dr. Daniels that parents were not allowed to be with their children, as it taught kids independence, to which my mum complied to. Once in there, he immediately separated my sister and I, and in reaction to this, I cried and felt so scared. Dr. Daniels did not like crying, so he grabbed me and put his hands over my mouth and nose, shook me and aggressively warned me that if I continued to cry and scare the other kids, that he would make my situation a lot worse. Obviously, this scared me even more so, so I started crying again. Dr. Daniels had enough and took me into his house part of the dentist office where he screamed at me again, grabbed me by the neck and shoved me. His hygienist Judy came over to me and told me if I continued to cry, she would spank me so hard I wouldn't know what hit me. After a few words, he gave me a juice concoction and left me alone in his house for about five minutes, until he took me back into the dental office and did work on my teeth. I guess I just instinctively knew that if I wanted to survive, I had to act like I was not terrified and hold the tears. All I wanted was my mum. After the first appointment, my sister and I told my mum that we were scared of the dentist and that he was a mean man, but she just took it as me being an anxious child, so we continued to see him. Each visit was just as terrifying. Every time we pulled into the mansion, my heart just melted away inside my chest. I was so scared. It was no longer pretty to look at. Every time we went to the dentist, Dr. Daniels, or the Tooth Man as he called himself, always had us have heavy dental work procedures done. We had seals done on several baby teeth and plenty of teeth removed, some with his fingers with no regards to pain level at all. And often when having a tooth removed or seals done, your mouth had to be opened up with a retractor. He would leave us there with the retractor in for about 45 minutes or so before he came to work on our teeth. Sometimes he would eat his lunch while he sat there with our mouth open. Probably one of the worst pains I've ever felt in my life. One time when I was about in third grade, I'd been leaned down in the chair waiting with the retractor on for an hour. I was in so much pain I couldn't take it. I sat up on the chair and tried to scream and cry as loud as I could. Dr. Daniels came rushing over angry as could be, took my retractors off, and then took me back into his house part again, where he screamed at me for being a big baby and scaring all the other kids. I was so sad in myself because I hadn't cried in so long. He then took me back to the dental chair and then pinned me down to my seat in a straitjacket. He put my retractors back on and said they don't have to wait longer because I caused such a scene. All I could do was shed silent tears and drool everywhere, and I couldn't even wipe it because he locked up my arms. Afterwards my mouth had become so swollen and filled with rashes it hurt to talk for days. It would leave bruises as soon as I left his chair. He would often tell my mother I was a difficult patient if I so much as winced at his torture. Once he removed six of my teeth at once, and I could barely eat. While he ripped the teeth out, he would often sing songs. It was so Sweeney Todd-like. When I was in the seventh grade, I started getting some new braces, and we started seeing an orthodontist. Not long after we stopped seeing Dr. Daniels, 
and started seeing a new dentist who was actually nice. I had never known that getting your teeth clean didn't have to feel like going through a sore trap. I think my mum took us out of Dr. Daniel's practice when the orthodontist looked at our dental records and saw a lot of unnecessary procedures being done. Not long ago, I was having a conversation with a friend about a childhood fear and instantly my mind went to the tooth man. Curious, I googled him to see what happened to him. And to my happiness, the practice was shut down. Also, left under his name was a Yelp page that was still left up. The page was filled with numerous one-star reviews from former patients that were once abused as kids in his office, and were using this page as an outlet to express their trauma. I started to cry because their experiences were so close and some identical as to what I went through as a kid. It was so sad, but at the same time, really validating to know that I was not alone. A lot of the procedures we went through were just a scam for him to collect money off our parents' insurance. And now that I think about it, he probably was so adamant on us not crying and screaming for help because he didn't want our parents to hear and come and see what was going on. I shake thinking about this. I really pray that he hasn't opened up another practice somewhere else. I know it's hard not to blame parents in this situation. But the truth is, this man was a swift abuser. For every bruise and swelling we had, we would have dental explanations that would make the parents feel stupid for asking. He was an authority figure, and I don't blame my mum for not believing us. She knew he was firm, but probably thought we were just confusing firmness with meanness. To be honest, even writing this, the torture was so wild, it actually sounds made up. She eventually did come around. She's not alone, as there were hundreds and hundreds of parents that were duped and deceived by him. So Dr. Daniels, please, let's never meet again. So, it's not always phantoms, ghouls and monsters that you have to worry about, but the people outside your door that you surround yourself with every day. Be cautious out there, and be safe. If you'd like one of your stories narrated, please follow the links in the description. Thank you for listening.